Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. Welcome to Girl on the Gov, the podcast where our goal is to make politics more accessible and less intimidating. The show features an interview with an expert in the political field, walking us through the many cues we have about politics, civics, government, and more. By providing civic education in the places we are, on our phones, and in the language we speak. And yes, we know we say like a lot. It's kind of the point, because politics needed a rebrand. Welcome back to Girl in the Gov, the podcast. Coming to you live on a Wednesday post Samantha's birthday, everyone. The belated 30th birthday for Samantha. Everyone sing wherever Mm. you are. Just start singing. Dear God, my personal nightmare. My personal (laughs) nightmare. No, it's fine. It's like, you know, like the happy birthday thing is like so awkward when you're like, with it. a crew and you're like at dinner and they're singing and like everyone everyone singing feels equally as awkward like it's just why is the society have we not moved past this it's so true i well it's weird it's because weird. like and, when but, you love attention it's like you think you'd love being sung to for your birthday but no <laughs> there's something about a weird it one. however i do have a positive update i don't have it like up and like ready or whatever but I got like an epic birthday present that is grown mm. the gum themed. It arrives. It was this box that was left for me. No tag, no name, like no card, suspicious. nothing. I'm like literally I was, like racking my brain. So suspicious. I was like, I was literally going through my head of like who has my address, like all of those different things. I'm like, who could this be? One of my friends. And I put it like in my like main group chat. I was like, okay, like thinking it's got to be one of my like really close friends if it's one of you tell me otherwise I'm gonna think this is a bomb totally I was like is this like I've been watching you know I've been watching too much like you know NCIS I'm like is this anthrax like I literally and it's huge but regardless everyone's like oh maybe you have a secret admirer I'm like are you kidding me is it really (laughs) not one of you guys anyways long story short one of my friends just like actually two of my friends just were not looking at the group me turns out two of my best friends got me a custom neon light up pink girl on the gov sign it's so cute. why is it not behind you i'll right have now? to show you a picture i still have okay you know how long it takes me to do things you know <laughs> That's but really she's cute, cute. she's Can't wait to see it. i know like you're gonna love oh wait actually i sent it it's bubble wrapped but in that in our group chat with Janique, it's in there. Cause I was like, maybe oh. like I was almost testing you guys. I was like, did one of you like send this? Like I thought for a hot second, I was like, you would have told me. Like, <laughs> did Maddie order us matching How signs did I not and not see tell these me? texts? I don't see them anywhere. I don't know. Maybe I, I was who knows. You were outside Lansing I was for which we're gonna make a verb. That's what I was doing. Yeah. I have so many questions about side note. So many questions. And Shoot. I think they're the questions that I ask you every year. What type of festival is it? Is it like EDME or is it like Dave Matthews-y? Like what is like it's everything. the music situation? Okay. Yeah. It's like, it's everything. It's 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 definitely more Dave Matthews-y. Like typically it's known for being okay. more like that. But I feel like it's starting to get more like coachella where it's like just literally everything. Like Meg Thee Stallion, Fisher, Zed. Interesting. Noah Khan, the 1975 Foo Fighters. Like it was just like a total mix of everyone. 
Wow, that like literally is the kitchen sink. I mean, like mm-hmm. all iconic people, but just like this genre, that genre. I mean, so maybe we'll do crossovers these days in terms of like collabs and music. I feel like yeah, that that stuff is like I so. I feel like everyone has, has like diverse know. tastes these days. Like I truly like love yeah. all different genres of music, so it's great. You never are country, country, perfectly. Though, it's never country Wait, yet, like, like either. No, I do oh, I love, love country, country, but it's actually like oh. kind of weird that like country stays in its own like social sector whereas like i feel like it's starting to become more liked by different everyone so it's like i wonder when like the coachellas and the outside lands of the world are going to start like dropping in little country artists here and there because it's like you like country too Mm -hmm. where is that why does it have to only be fucking stagecoach or whatever that is interesting because i was gonna say like all contraires like there have been a lot of crossovers especially between like like there's like hip hop country, like there's kind of like a crossover there and some rap country. Mary's starting to be crossovers. Diplo which is like, touching country all the time. Yeah, I think there's a loud luxury remix too. You know, like there's a lot of like interesting crossover, but you're right, it hasn't gone into like the festival. I know. I was actually thinking yet. about that. Huh. So well, well hmm. I have a comment, and then of course we have to get into our episode. Oh, unwell. unwell. Which is what you are right now. That's what I am right now. I'm not feeling good today, but <laughs> no, unwell. Alex Cooper drops her new, has she really like labeled it yet? It's like a media company, talent agency. I don't know if we fully know what it is yet or really what the girlies like Alex Earl yeah. and the other girl are even doing. If they're like new podcast hosts or if they're like business partners, I don't know. But if it's a growing roster of podcasts, I can only suggest one really, really important one, and that's Girl in the Go mm. podcast. I mean, Alex Cooper has really made it a priority of hers to talk about voting around election time and making sure people are well-rounded. And I just feel like, you know, a political podcast for the girlies would be a perfect addition to the Unwell roster squad. I mean, look, you are preaching to the choir. The tone deaf crier, of course, because, you know, I, woof, but like, we have been called the call her daddy of political podcasts before. We have literally been called that. I mean, that's not a lie. We can pull up the screenshot. Mm -hmm. We've gotten some reviews. We've gotten some DMs. I see this is, this is why I add things. I screenshot everything and I put them into little folders. And that is why I have over 10,000 screenshots on my phone. But here's the thing. We've not only been called that, but where I really see the connection is with the fact that Ambiguous Organization by Alex Cooper is called Unwell. And what this country is in our state of civic engagement, we're unwell. We are unwell in terms of the amount of civic action and civic engagement that's going on in this country. And look, if you're here already, you know, you've run into it. You're a part of changing it. Thank you for being here. And obviously getting your friends involved and engaged too. But we have a lot of work to do. This is like such a long game, as we always say. But let's make us, let's take us from unwell to well in the civic engagement space. 100%. I feel like I'm standing on a little everyone, bit of a soapbox. Everyone wants to know more about politics, but don't know where to start. We are that starting place. And we want to get in front of more people and help more people step into their political power, get civically engaged and do it in a fun digestible and relatable way that's who we are and we need to be on the unwell roster we're just doing a quick pitch right now okay and we're gonna try and get in front of alex cooper so if you know her 
let us know and <laughs> send this her way. Okay. But, you know what that just reminded me of is the TikTok sound that's like, um, why don't you just call like call Taylor up? Call Taylor it's up. Like that Chris Jenner <laughs> group. Yeah. Just no, but we have an episode today. It is a interesting one, of course, because what else do we do except push out interesting content, but also a topic that we have not yet covered, not yet touched, and we are super excited to do so with an amazing guest. Amazing. You guys know that we love CAP. We love Center for American Progress. We do a lot of collabs with them. We have our friend Mia on this week, and we are talking about disability justice. We haven't touched this subject yet, like Maddie said, and this is a really good starting point for this conversation. What is disability justice? What are disability rights? What's the ADA? How does that apply? What needs to go on to improve policy? This is the starting point. Mia walks us through so many questions with such grace and kindness and super excited for you guys to dive in. She is the Director of Disability Initiatives at CAP. So without further ado, here's Mia. All right, let's get into Welcome to the show, Mia. We are so excited to have you. This is going to be a blast. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to get down into this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So much to talk about. And also, of course, like, I mean, a cap person, please. We love you guys. Obsessed. So of course, like this can be so much fun. And you specifically work at cap as a part of the disability justice section and initiative. Can you tell us like what that role entails? what the focus is naturally. I mean, look, the title gives it away a little bit, disability justice, but, and we're going to get into defining it, but I'm curious from your perspective, you know, what that role entails and how it all began. Oh gosh. So, you know, my role is as the director, I get to do a lot of different things, which is why I love doing it is that I get to do research. I get to do advocacy. I get to do organizing so I get to do the 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 wide gamut in terms of policymaking and research. So, you know, basically what we do is we try to utilize a disability justice lens to evaluate specific policies across sort of the government, particularly within the federal government. And so what we do is we'll get some type of policy or issue that we will either get from the disability community or that we'll get from somebody from the White House or on on the Hill and we'll look at it and sort of take it apart piece by piece and start thinking, okay, who does this actually impact? How does it impact them? How does it impact the policies that surround it, you know? because we know that policies don't live in a vacuum. Right. It would be great if they did, but they don't. They impact so many other different policies and issues on the ground. And so what we do is we try to pull all of that together and then start piecing together sort of like, what are the things that can either improve or take over this policy? Because sometimes we want to improve it. Sometimes we want to just completely overhaul it. And sometimes that depends on what's going on on the Hill, on whether right. which strategy we we try to take. But that's in general what we try to do. Then we put together, you know, a piece, either an article or a report. And, and we try to also do interviews across the community and say, hey, we've seen this issue happen or we've 
gotten this bump from the Hill. What are your experiences with this specific policy? And then we try to utilize both, you know, quantitative and qualitative analysis to develop our own set of policies that we then send back up to the Hill to the White House and to uh, partner organizations to talk about what we think should happen. That's awesome. Well, I'm glad to hear that in so many dynamics, but it's fine because I was just stalking GovTrack, which is like my daily thing. Got to see what's like rolling. I was making fun of of National Blueberry Month, which is just in a totally different direction a moment ago, but it is so interesting to read through those bills. And sometimes I'm looking at the summaries and I'm like, well, that sounds pretty reasonable, but then I know without necessarily, you know, I can't be an expert in every issue. None of us are necessarily, but like, I look at that. I'm like, yeah, but like, what does that impact? Like what exists in this sphere? Like exactly. I know, and there's certain ones you read and you're like, I know I'm missing something. Like I'm yes. absolutely missing something. Yes. So I'm glad you guys are filling in the gaps and like coloring within the lines to sh- sort of paint that picture for people and for policymakers, because it's hard to sort of know, like, like you said, like nothing exists in a vacuum policy doesn't. So got to sort of make those figures somehow. And to sort of this larger conversation though, I'm curious how you got into this work, what that origin story is, what made you say like, you know what, political advocacy, like this is it, like I'm rolling. Oh my gosh. I had no interest in politics. I had no interest in doing disability work at all, which is ironic. You know, I, I am a disabled person. But I didn't want to get pigeonholed or feel pigeonholed, I guess, into one sort of area. And I kept on getting asked to do disability stuff all throughout my life. And I was like, no, no, I want to try this. I want to try this. But disability work has always just continuously pulled me back in. And I've gotten to the point where I've accepted it and I love (laughs) it. But really, I grew up with a disability. I have osteogenesis imperfecta. It means I utilize a wheelchair. And, you know, I grew up experiencing ableism, both structural and interpersonal. And so when I was growing up, my mom and my dad were extremely huge advocates for me. You know, they would advocate for me in hospital settings and schools. And so I had a great role model to mm-hmm. see how that would look, particularly on an individual level. And so, you know, I went to college and got a, a degree in sociology because I was really interested in just how society worked and how it impacted individuals and communities. I knew I wanted to be of service to my community. I knew I wanted to do that type of work. And so that's something that my parents really instilled in me. And so I was looking and I decided social work was a great avenue to do something like that. And particularly as an individual who was in foster care and also orphanages and was adopted, you know, all of that really impacted and colored the way that I saw life and society and knew it was important to give service to your community, particularly for folks who are on the margins. And so I went to social work school. I went to UNC, Chapel Hill, go Tar Heels. And I was like, okay, I want to do child mental health advocacy. When 
I was starting to look for jobs that I realized that I was, again, experiencing ableism because mm-hmm. people didn't want to hire me. And I, I applied to over 100 jobs throughout the summer after I graduated. And I was panicking because all the students around me had already gotten jobs. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I still don't have a job. And so I finally landed a job, ironically, in vocational rehabilitation services. So I, I got into that work and was working with individuals with mental health disabilities, helping them find jobs and accessing services in their communities. And so having just been a client, vocational rehabilitation services, I was like, I feel like I am probably the most qualified to be a, a counselor percent. in here, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Having experienced it on the other side. And I, I think it, you know, gave me an interesting perspective to get to see the services on both sides, both providing it and receiving it. And I think that has really impacted the way that I do policy and understanding sort of the the nuances and specific policies and how they can impact people on both sides of uh, the spectrum yeah. and on both sides of the policy. And then, you know, I had a friend of mine who was the previous director in this role come up to me and be like, you know, knowing your background and the work that you've done, really want you to take over this role. Can you apply to this job? And so that's what I did. I I fought it for a bit. I'm always resistant, no matter what it is. No matter how good I it is you. for me, <laughs> uh, I was like, no, 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 I can't do this job. Uh, I don't have the experience or the qualifications, et cetera. And I applied and that's how I got into it. What an amazing story. Thank you for sharing. I mean, like everyone's journey is so, so different and leads people so many different ways. I feel like, especially in politics, it's like, most people just never see themselves getting there, but it's really, really amazing to hear your story. And you're the founder of the Women's March Disability Caucus. So can you kind of explain what that is and kind of its inception? Yeah. So right around the time that I was starting to get kind of frustrated with sort of made a commitment to myself that I was going to do more organizing. I'd done some protests and advocacy on the state level, sort of on my own time, but I, particularly after the 2020 election, I was like, or what, which election was it? 20, I'm sorry. 2016. 2016. Thank you. Honestly, everything seems like a time continuum and just a blur. And since we're like reliving 2020 for 2024, anyways, at this point, like, yeah, can't. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, right after that election, I was sitting in bed and I was just like, I need to do more. And so I committed to myself, literally sat there and I was like, I'm going to do more community work. And so, you know, I was trying to think, you know, what are the things that I can do? You know, go volunteer at a nonprofit or something like that. And then I saw this post come up online that was talking about a women's march. And I was like, this seems like something that I could 
you know, get into. What do I? So originally I was like, oh, you know, states are organizing to go up there. I I could go and, and help my state out and, you know, do whatever they need me to do. And so I started emailing folks and wasn't getting a response. And it was because they were getting like thousands and thousands of emails and requests and stuff like that. So I hold nothing against them. And in fact, I'm friends with them now. But since I hadn't heard anybody from the state level, I was just like, man, you know, I feel like I'm missing something. And so I was, you know, continuing to look online and I started seeing comments in in the posts saying, hey, is this going to be accessible? Is this going to be accessible? And I was like, man, you know, I had been to protest. I know how unsafe that they can feel when you're sitting in a wheelchair. Everybody is extremely high. You basically have the view of everybody's butts. (laughs) And so, you know, people sometimes, particularly when it's crowded, they'll start pushing at one another. You can get tripped on, you know, it just doesn't feel safe. And so I started contacting friends around me and being like, Hey, I started noticing this issue. Are you interested in helping me work on this and building sort of a coalition? Because I knew, you know, more people pushing back against folks who have more power is the way that you get things to change, right? Mm -hmm. And so I got a couple of friends I knew who had disabilities who wanted to go to the Women's March that, that were like, yeah, let's organize our own thing. Let's figure out a way to make this accessible. And so once I had, you know, five, six people that were like gung-ho about it, I started sending out just email blasts to anybody that I could figure out had any connection to the Women's Barge. And I was persistent enough that I finally got somebody from Pennsylvania who was organizing. And she's like, yeah, I can connect you to the folks who are doing the, the national organizing. And I was like, great, wonderful. And that, that that sort of began the work that we did for the Women's March. And I worked on that for three or four years, really pushing to ensure that disability was included, not only within Women's March, but in other organizations and and movements. And so, you know, I worked with things like uh, Families Belong Together, um, March for Our Lives, March for Science, et cetera, trying to push and advocate for accessibility, like, you know, ASL interpreting on stage and ADA and seating, et cetera, across the board. Well, that was going to be my next question was what sort of made or what makes like a protest or a march more accessible? Like what are those points of contention? And I know that can be like such a large arch, but if there's maybe like the top three things that make something more accessible, yeah. is that that nature? My intention is not only to make it accessible, but inclusive. Uh, and what that actually means is having part of the speeches actually include disabled people, which a lot of people don't understand. They're like, oh, yeah, we'll bring people with disabilities to the event and we'll do these 
accessibility things, which technically they're supposed to be doing anyway. Mm-hmm. But, you know, but then you'd go and like, okay, but do you have a disabled speaker coming to speak? Do you have somebody with a disability who has that lens, that has that range to talk about it? And they're like, oh, well, our programming is already set. Yeah. And I'm like, a classic. Well, is there a way to add somebody, you know, et cetera? And so, you know, it's, it's, it's a wide span of things. It's ensuring that there's somebody that people can feel like they're being seen at an event to things like the more obvious, you know, uh, accessible seating. So we try and mark out a space that doesn't get super clustered Mm -hmm. and have a bunch of people who are standing where people who are sitting can't see, you know, does it have ASL interpreting? What's the weather going to be like? A lot of people don't think about that, you know? So you have to think about cooling. You have to think about keeping people warm. You have to think about sunscreen. We have tons of people who can't regulate their body temperature. So how do we deal with that? And then we have the communication component. Do we have audio description for blind people? Audio description is basically stating, hey, this person is getting on stage. This is what's happening on stage. This is what's happening during the event. Then we have the ASL interpreting. But lastly, you know, there's other things like we try to have an emergency kit near the ADA seating area. We try to have, you know, water, juice for folks who have diabetes or issues with sugar. We try to have masks, particularly during this pandemic. We try to have all sorts of things in order to ensure that people can feel comfortable in yeah. the space provided to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's an interesting snapshot and an important one. Well, we want to get into kind of defining some terms. We're going to start with the disability justice realm of things. Can we just ask that? Like, what is disability justice really? That is a great question. So disability justice was created by um, disabled people of color who also identified as LGBTQ, who had experienced what the ADA and disability rights movement was and were stating that they weren't seeing their issues being talked about and being addressed. It was developed by folks like Mia Mingus, and they created this sort of structure, this foundation of principles that stated that disabled people's issues were intersecting with other issues and that we needed to fully encompass that to address the issues that many disabled people face, right? So there's 10 principles that include things like dependence, anti-capitalism, mutual support and aid. And it's about supporting one another to create cross-disability solidarity in developing 
a world that is anti-ableist, anti-racist, you know, inclusive of all LGBTQ principles, etc. And and so what we try to do through DJI is that we know that policy is only a small part of disability justice. You know, a lot of disability justice is informal sort of connectedness in communities. And policy is a tiny chunk in there. And so what we do is we try to utilize a lens to develop specific policies that coordinate with those values. That makes sense. That is like the actually perfect definition. So if there's Webster's Dictionary wants to figure that out, have a little addendum, we've got it right for them. So amazing. There is another question though to this conversation that I'm curious and is definitely one that we got when we were asking our audience, what what questions do you guys have on this topic? And they were curious as to like what the difference is between disability rights and disability justice. Like what is, is there a difference? Is there sort of mm-hmm. the line in the sand? What does that look like? There is a difference. You know, disability rights is a rights-based approach, uh, which sounds simplistic in its nature. But what it's saying is, is that we're going to work within this system that we have right now and push to utilize specific laws to fight for equality. So that's specifically disability rights. And so what disability justice does is say, we don't have to just utilize the current structures that we have. We have external things, external systems that we can utilize to support one another and gain real equity within the community. And you notice I use different terms but within that and say equity versus equality, which is mm-hmm. a bit different in its nature. And so... Disability justice allows you to be more inclusive. It allows you to be sort of your full self in Mm -hmm. the reality of the world that we're living in right now and saying, you know, utilizing things like intersectionality, which was created by Kimberly Crenshaw, and be able to not live in a silo and say, look, we're not working within just the system to develop ways to support one another. Uh, And that's the real difference between the two. Yeah. Well, one thing we also want to get into is, is the ADA and really what it is, you know, what is the American and Disabilities Act? What is it? What did it like, I guess, what was the objective behind it and the purpose? We'll start there. Yeah. Start there. That's an easy one, right? Yeah. So the ADA is sort of the after, so we first had the Rehabilitation Act, which was developed by a group of individuals who were coming back from the Vietnam War. They were coming back alive, but injured and having disabilities. And they wanted to be in their communities, right? They had gotten a chance to see what it was like on the other side as non-disabled people. And they were coming back treated as disabled people and realizing that that was not what they wanted. And so they helped work on 
this system with other disabled people to develop the Rehabilitation Act, which specifically addressed federal government and programs that were funded by the federal government and addressed the the rights of disabled people. But of course, disabled people don't just live in those areas, right? We have full lives and we want to live in our community. And so, of course, there's going to be a push to gain more rights. It sort of came on the wave of the civil rights movement where, you know, black and brown people were fighting for their basic civil rights and disabled people were sort of in that mix of being like, oh, yeah, you know, we also want to fight for this. Yeah. And so with a coalition of civil rights organizations and disabled people, we fought for the Americans with Disabilities Act. And the act has a a couple of different titles which cover everything from employment to public accommodations, which means anything that the public is allowed to access, right? So that includes hotels, that includes streets, that includes stores, includes grocery stores, includes hospitals, et cetera. Includes a wide gamut of of areas, and it can even include things like nursing homes, group homes, etc. And so, it intends to state that disabled people cannot be treated differently based on their disability in accessing these resources in their communities, and that can play out in a myriad of ways, you know, on on the ground. Well, I think, you know, the next question is, of course, you know, does the ADA work? You know, do we have areas within it that need to improve? And if so, you know, what are those areas? I mean, I think anything that's policy related is always uh, a moving target and evolving. And so is this world. So, of course, got to keep up with that. But I'm curious from your perspective, like, has it been an effective piece of legislation? And also to, you know, where does it need to improve? And that is... Okay, so give you a loaded one <laughs> a loaded one. All of these questions are loaded. So I can probably say that I'm part of the ADA generation, which means that which was actually coined by Rebecca Coakley, who's the one that pushed me into taking this job. And what that basically means is that we are individuals who grew up in a time where we actually knew that we deserved specific rights and to be in our communities, right? Which is much different from the people who were generating the ADA because they were told so often that they didn't deserve these rights, that they were less than human, that they had to be taken care of, and that they weren't allowed to make decisions for themselves. So as part of the ADA generation, yes, the ADA has done amazing thing, you know, for me as an individual, you know, it's created it, it, you know, accessible communities. It means that I can usually go on sidewalks and expect there to be a pep cut at the end of the sidewalk. It's not always the case, but it's mostly the case, right? I can expect that. And 
if there isn't one, I know I have the ability to fight to state that there needs to be one, right? And so there's this expectation that we have now as the ADA generation that we deserve the rights that we have been told that, you know, are allowed in this society right now. And so, you know, I think that there are some problematic issues with the ADA. One, there's no active enforcement of the ADA. So that means that it requires disabled people to take on the task of enforcement. So we're all enforcement mechanisms. So we have to ask the government or demand that the government do something on our behalf to fix something that is going against specific legislation or regulations. So that's the biggest fault of the ADA is that it requires the energy of disabled people to actually ensure enforcement. I was so curious about that because my mom is now like decently wheelchair bound. And we were staying in a hotel last year that was not wheelchair accessible, which we didn't know in advance. Long story short, fire alarm went off. We didn't have a choice. It was the only thing open at one in the morning. Like, what are you going to do? Anyways, I also had worked in the design industry previously on PR. And so I knew like requirements that are required of new buildings and whatnot. And so when we got there and this was like a recent add on to the hotel and I was seeing like, wait, there is literally no accessible room. We're trying to figure out what we're going to do again, long story, but I was like thinking about it. I was like, but like, who is enforcing this? Like, this is requiring us happy to do it to report this somewhere. And I'm like, okay, but like, what is that mechanism? And I never really figured what that answer was. I never really got anywhere with it. And so this definitely sheds a lot of light on it of like, you have to be essentially your own police person, which is really unfair. And it's sort of like, I'm curious, I'm going to guess the answer is funding, but like what the reason is for no enforcement structure or like nothing that like exists to be like, okay, we need to make sure that this happens. Like if you buy a house where you want to do renovations, like you have to get the home, you know, inspected. If I want new cabinets, like you have to do that. So like, why is this not a part of that equation? Okay, a couple of things. One, I'd like to challenge you on stating that your mom wheelchair bound. I just say that because we try and use not use that terminology anymore. Partially because if you rethink about what wheelchairs actually do for people is that it continues their mobility, right? It actually helps us get out and into the public in the ways that we wouldn't be able to if um, we didn't have wheelchairs. So we actually see wheelchairs as as a freedom mechanism because if it wasn't available for your mom, unfortunately, she would likely be at home, right? She'd likely be in bed or on the couch or something like that. Where so so the the idea of boundness we try and sort of push back on that just in terms of our terminology. But in, in terms of your the issues that you face, I am so sorry that you face that. I know that is an issue that all of us face. I just went to a hotel and they contacted me. I'm lucky enough that I have uh, a big enough sort of talking space where people will 
amplify a lot of the things I say. So, you know, uh, the hotel actually contacted me back as soon as I posted uh, <laughs> about the issue. Um, uh, I did not realize that that was going to go as viral as it did. But, you know, it, there is a real lack of information or education on how we actually access the rights we are told that we have, right? And totally. so I, I think that, one, I would tell you, contact the DOJ. There's actually a specific form that you can fill out on the DOJ's website that allows you to say, hey, my rights or my family member's rights were infringed upon. This was the issue. This was the day. This is what happened. So for anybody who is wondering how they submit a complaint that their rights uh, around the ADA were were infringed upon, please go to the DOJ website. I've literally gotten people from the DOJ being like, Mia, please let folks know to submit any complaint that they have because mm -hmm. unfortunately the DOJ can't act at all until they receive complaints. Mm -hmm. Again, right. that lack of active enforcement is really a detriment. Why do we have this? It's because there was a concession within the ADA with big business, with conservatives that stated, hey, okay, we can concede that you have rights, but we don't want that to be infringed upon us in terms of our right to make money off of people yeah, and not have to spend a lot of money on accommodations. And so what happened was, was that they're like, okay, we'll sign this bill that has no active enforcement mechanisms and will require disabled people to actually enforce the issue uh, for themselves. So that's sort of how we've gotten where we are today. Yeah. Oh, classic. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm super curious, like what's on the horizon as far as like what maybe, you know, current projects even at CAP or like what's the next goal? What's the next milestone we want to push forward around this yeah. issue? Um, yeah. And yeah, I guess also like what you're kind of hoping people know more about or how they can continue to learn about this issue. Um, yeah. Curious what's yeah. on the horizon. <laughs> Uh, well, you know, we're trying to stay busy. So we have a couple of different projects that are going on right now. We are working on a tool right now to evaluate states on their accessibility to the polls. And we're going to be working with different nonprofit organizations to evaluate issues at the polls or even good things at the polls that are going on. Uh, and going to try and create a map that is interactive that allows people to see sort of what are the issues in specific states and how can we address those issues, you know? Uh, it, so it, it will provide a way for people to organize in their state on specific issues and provide contact information around that. So that's where we are on that project. We are also working on a project on repro rights and as we know, particularly for women and individuals who can become pregnant, this is a hot topic right now. And so we have been working on issues, including things like guardianship, which became very interesting due to the Britney Spears issue and case 
Um, unfortunately, a lot of people don't have the platform that Britney Spears has. And so they are even more stuck in conservatorships and guardianships, which actually can impact your ability to make choices uh, for yourself, including things like, do I want to use contraceptive or do I not, et cetera? Uh, do I want to go and get a medical appointment to check and make sure that I don't have cancer? All of those are things that can be decided upon you. I, I mean, people can decide for you on those issues if you're in a guardianship or conservatorship. So we've been developing some policies and legislation around that. We've also just released on the anniversary, the 33rd anniversary of the ADA, we were able to reintroduce the Reproductive Health Care Accessibility Act, which is led by Senators Murray and Duckworth and Representatives Bush and Presley. And so we're really, really excited about that. And it provides funding and grants to educate providers and disabled people around their rights in accessing reproductive health care. So that's really exciting for us. We are also working on immigration and refugee issues. So we're looking at the services that refugees, disabled refugees receive when they come into the country to see sort of where the issues are around that. And then lastly, we're looking at economics, including things like SSI and other uh, other sort of parachute services that, that help individuals, and then also worker rights issues that utilize a disability lens. So we're working on a wide variety a lot of, of things. things. So much yeah. work to do. Oh yeah. my God. Yes. My dad and I were literally just talking about the SSI issue last night. So just funny when it all comes together. But yeah. wow, so much to work on, so much to see. Where can people learn more? And also I'm excited for this tracker map situation. Like where will they be able to find that? Can you give us sort of the plug for all the things? Yes. Yeah, so AmericanProgress.org is always a great area that you can look at. For all of our work, there is a section on disability that you can go to in the topics area. And we have reports, we have columns, we have op-eds that are all in that space talking about all of these different issues. So that is where you can find all of that. Also, you will eventually be able to find the interactive map on that as well. And then in terms of other areas that you can find us, you can find us at Cap Disability. That's our Twitter handle or I don't know, X handle. That way it's yeah, I was going to say, I don't, I don't know. know what we call it these days. I refuse to not call it Twitter. Like I just, I can't give you on any more like passes here. You know? Yeah. yeah. So uh, whatever you want to call it, we're on there. You can also find me on all the social medias. I'm just starting to access threads. We'll see how that goes. But you can find me at See Me A Roll. It's S-E-E-M-I-A-R-O-L-L. Pretty simple. And you can see all my hot takes, all my bad takes, and, and see what I'm rolling on through currently. Love it. Well, thank you so much for giving us this run through. It was really important. And we'll be sure to to have you back on soon, hopefully. No, I really, really enjoyed this conversation and I'm always happy to, to come on. 
Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description.